Heavenly Father, we ask that in these moments together, the true glory of God might be made manifest so that we would have the sense, if possible, the experience of your word and understanding and enlightenment. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Heavenly Father, we're asking this day that for every one of us as pastors and as teachers that we would preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord, that you would by your spirit move us out of the way and let the Lord be glorified. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Be magnified, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So when you read about this in the book of the Revelation and you see these blunt force plagues that are cast down upon the earth, do you ever wrestle with that? Do you ever ask the question, do we or do they, those upon the earth, they really deserve that? And it all depends on how you see the glory of God and how you see the rebellion of mankind. If you look upon passages like this today and say, well, God is being way too severe, then, dear friend, you either need to spend more time looking at the glory of our great God or the depraved, the depravity of the rebellious. And in this passage today, I think we're going to see this and understand why he is going to pour out his righteous indignation upon the earth at the very end of the tribulation period, the last part of the seven years, and understand what is his rationale? Why would God bring such justice to bear on the violent rebels all around us? Now, Revelation chapter 15 focuses on helping us to understand the last of the last, if you will. It, it serves like, a, like an interlude or an introduction. If you've been to a production, whether dramatic production or musical production, and the, the crowd is all talking and they're all excited, and suddenly there's a, a change in the lighting and a hush settles down over the crowd. Not completely quiet, but at least they know, oh, something is getting ready to happen. There is something that the lighting is causing us to, to pay attention to. And it's, it's the very same way with Revelation chapter 15. It is a stunning, astounding, the word that we'll look at in marvelous, is supposed to astonish us. And by the way, when you think about the way this comes on, as I was trying to wrestle through this, I thought of, you ever been to an air show and uh, with, the, with the advent of jet planes? You ever been to the air show and not known that there was a, a jet that was hurtling towards you directly overhead? In fact, you were stunned by the sound when it was already past you. That's somewhat of the effect that Revelation chapter 15 has, and Revelation 16, as Pastor Rog will preach this evening, has upon us. So when you think about Revelation chapter 15, think of it as it functions as an attention-getting 
sign. That's the way it refers to itself, a great marvelous sign that introduces these last seven plagues. The completed wrath of God, we would point out, in this dispensation. There's more later on in Revelation, but he's introducing these last seven plagues that will fall upon the earth. Look, if you will, again at verse 1, and notice what he says there in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 1. And I saw, that's the standard introduction that John uses for introducing a new vision in the book of the Revelation. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Now, when he says another sign, what does he mean by another sign? Well, if you turn back to Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, and read down through 1 through 3, you see that he, in fact, mentioned two signs there. One was a woman clothed with a sun, and the other one was a great red dragon. So this is a third sign that's being given. And when you say uh, a sign, what, what, what do we mean by a sign? Well, a sign is a, it's like a signal. It's like a signal flag, or you could use the idea of the signal of an insignia. Perhaps there's someone here who has an insignia on his or her ring, or you've seen a a shield with an insignia on it. That's the idea of the sign. It is supposed to signal something, and one of the things that we kind of have to wrestle with in Revelation chapter 15 is, is all of this the sign? Is part of this the sign? And the conclusion that I, I wrestled with for quite a while on this was, I believe the, in all eight verses are being referred to as a sign, being referred to as an insignia. And so that raises the question here, when he says it's great and marvelous, what, is, what does the word marvel mean? Well, if you and I today, the way we use the word, if you, know, you had a dessert over or you had a wonderful Christmas meal or holiday meal and you said to your spouse, that was marvelous, we understand what that means. But in this case, what marvel means is more like the, the jet plane that passed overhead that, that caused us, it, it stuns us because the word refers to being astounded or astonished and it inspired with awe on, on the spur of the moment. That's what he means when he refers to the fact that it is great and marvelous. So when you get right down to it, if, if all eight verses are the great, it uses the word mega there, the, the great and marvelous, astounding sign, how would, you, how would you take this apart? And as I wrestle through how to present this to the entire congregation, uh, here's the conclusion that I came to, that the emphasis in Revelation chapter 15 is on the nature of of the Lord God Almighty. Thus the title, Lord God Almighty. It's it's about his nature, and it is also about his work and the work that he will do, working through each and every part of this. Why? Because this book is the revelation. The revelation of whom? It is the revelation of Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the promised one. This is his unveiling. The word we use today is apocalypse. It's misused today as any natural disaster, but the apocalypse actually means, refers to the unveiling of Christ. That's what all of this is about. And so seeing the nature of our God and his work. 
is very helpful. It also describes, secondly, the angel's purpose. What is it that they were to do? That's in verse 1. That's their purpose. And in verses 5 through 8, you can see something about their appearance and their work. It's a majestic authority with which they proceed. And then what I'd like to do is come back to verses 2 through 4 to ask this question of all of us today. How should we respond? If, if we really do see the majestic nature of our God and his nature and his work, and we recognize his glory, and we also see that he will use his angels to bring forth this blunt force trauma, on the earth, these plagues that are hurled down with a striking force. How should we respond to that? And the answer, I think, that we will come to in verses 2 through 4 is we should respond exactly like those tribulation saints. Those tribulation saints and the way they responded in this situation, you and I should respond in exactly the same way. So let your eyes just sort of fall down. And I'm going to go in order here without naming the verses Look at Revelation chapter 15 as I try to address this and go specifically looking for who is God? What is his nature? What is his character? Recently in one of the Sunday school lessons, we looked at a character of God's study of one of the Psalms and we asked the question, who is God? Because after all, if this is the word of God, wouldn't you and I say that the main issue here is seeing the God of the Word? And that's exactly what we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 15. So read down through the verses and notice that it mentions that these bowls are full of the wrath of God. What does that tell us? What does that tell us about his nature and his work? And sometimes you have to look at his work and go back to understanding who he is Those bowls full of the wrath of God tell us that God is righteously indignant. The prevailing grace of God is implied in this phrase, in in this verse, when it says, victory over the beast. Question, how, how is that possible? How is it possible to be triumphant over this demon filled? Satan-inspired Antichrist who will come. How is it possible to have victory? And I think that speaks of God's prevailing grace. It mentions that these tribulation saints have the harps of God. The harps of God. What does that tell you about the Lord? If, if they have harps, here in a few moments we're going to sing together again. And, and our musicians have prepared and already you know, heard this morning, He will hold me fast. And, and from Romans 8, 28, that all things are working together for our good. What does, that, what does that tell us about God working in us and through us and then being able to use music to creatively speak back to the Lord? Well, I think it says something about the Lord's creativity and even his communication, that he gives us this communication and glory to God we are able to open our mouths and with one heart and one voice, we're able to magnify the Lord as he deserves to be magnified. That he has a servant named Moses. What does that tell you about the Lord? And to me, it speaks something about God's, God's sovereignty. He is, he is over all and he is even over someone like 
a worthy a patriarch named Moses and all that he accomplished. Moses was the servant of God. This speaks to me of God's sovereignty. Don't you praise the Lord that there is a reference to the lamb? Okay, what does that tell you about the Lord, that, that he gives us the lamb? Well, it tells you that he is our salvation. He is our savior. He is our deliverer. He is the one who took the wrath upon himself. As John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And that lamb will return to rule and reign with a rod of iron. This expression, great and marvelous are thy works. Now notice in verse 1 it mentions the great and marvelous sign. But then in verses 2 through 4, notice how they are magnifying the Lord with the words, great and marvelous are thy works. See what we did there is you take the works of God and you immediately look to who God is, understanding who, that's exactly what they were doing there. They were saying, great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Think about what that means. Lord God Almighty, they are saying. What does this speak of? When it says, great and marvelous are thy works, it speaks of God's mighty immensity. The greatness, you, you and I wrestle with how to say this in, in human terms, the, the English, you know, how, how, do we, how do we understand this? How do we see and understand how this all works together? Well, this is the nature of the attention getting of, of what the Lord is doing here. He is drawing our attention and he's doing so by these great and marvelous signs And he is showing us something about how to see him and how to understand him. And and you can see this when it says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. The Lord is pointing us to himself. And what is he really showing us? He is showing us that he is indeed the Lord God Almighty. That his work is marvelous, as I said, conveys the idea of It is astonishing, he is astounding, he inspires awe. He is Lord, he is king of all. He is God alone, meaning he is unique. There is no other like him. When it says he is is almighty, the the all-powerful one, the one who has all the power, he is a God of all might and power. And the scripture, as they sang there, All his ways are just and true, singing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. All his ways are just and true. He is the king of all the saints and the king of all the nations. He is worthy of all fear and respect, for our God is holy. And the Lord is worthy of submission and worship, just as they demonstrate to us. And why? Because now his justice is is clearly revealed. It's clearly manifested. It is clearly understood when they see, oh, he really is going to pour out these blunt force plagues upon the earth. He really is going to do that. And his judgment, his justice is manifest. And there at the very end of Revelation chapter 15, you can see that it reveals that God is eternal and that he lives forever and ever. That is then the nature of the Lord God Almighty 
Now let's talk about the way that he works through his angels. He works through them in order to accomplish something. Notice, if you will, down again in verse 1, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, astounding, astonishing, inspiring awe, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up or completed the wrath of God. And again, what he's referring to is the wrath of God in this dispensation, before the millennium, before the thousand-year reign, and certainly before the the lake of fire and uh, the heavenly city and the heavenly Jerusalem. So he refers to these seven angels having these seven plagues. When he says last, what does he mean by the last, the last plagues? Well, he's referring to what we've seen in Revelation, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, And there's an interesting little note in here because every once in a while you'll talk to someone or somebody will, you might be hearing someone teaching on this and they'll say, well, I don't, I don't think that the events in the book of the revelation are necessarily in time order. I mean, I think, I think they're, they're, they're like, I don't think they're chronological, we would say. And look, it's a, it's a worthy discussion. I've had this discussion. I'm sure Pastor Rod has had this discussion. Our professors have talked about it. You know, how would you view the book of the Revelation? Is it in, written in an emphasis order? You know, for instance, in your Gospels, you can tell that some of the Gospels are not written in time order. They're written according to emphasis. In other words, there's something that the uh, Holy Spirit used the author to really emphasize, and then things kind of came out from that. And one of the Gospels, we believe, is in fairly strict chronological order. Which one is it for the Revelation? And one of the keys, I think, one of the little helps is this verse, because it helps us to understand, okay, he is saying these are the last, and in this the wrath of God is completed. And this is one of the things that leads us to say, I think he's talking about time order. I think he's talking about it in, in the chronological order. But again, throughout this message, we're asking the question, why? Why is he doing this? Why is he bringing all this about? Notice, if you will, that in verse 5, not only can you see the, this introduction of the angels back up in verse 1, you can see something about their authority in verse 5. He says, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Whenever you see in Scripture a reference to the tabernacle, one of the ways to remind yourself about that is that, that God is, shall we say, tenting with man. That is, he is dwelling with man. He is, he is coming to dwell. This is God's tabernacle, the same with the the temple. And it's interesting because it says it's the temple of the testimony in heaven. Why the testimony? Well, what he's doing there is he is referring back to the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle that was built. And do you remember that one of the items in the, the Ark of the Covenant was those two tablets, the two tablets of stone that had the Ten Commandments written upon them. And those Ten Commandments are really the summation. Ultimately, Jesus took those Ten Commandments and said, you want to know the first and greatest commandment? Here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And then it's expressed in the Ten Commandments. If you love someone, you won't murder them. If you love someone, you won't commit adultery with them. If you love someone, you won't steal from them. 
So when he's saying here, out of the out of the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony, notice the way he's saying this is these angels are proceeding straight out of the temple and out of the tabernacle of the testimony. In other words, they are invested with God's great authority. They are authorized. They are deputized, if you will, to go out and accomplish this task. These are not you know, renegade ang- uh, angels that are, that are out on the loose. No, they are, they are authorized by God to do this. And it tells you something about their appearance in verse 6 when it says, The seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, having their breast girded with golden girdles. Golden sash is the idea around it. And so you can see here something about the clothing or uniform of the angels described God's righteousness with holy majesty. Now I want to raise a question with you from my Bible reading this morning. And I posted this for our leaders and staff on uh, teams this morning. I want to raise a question with you about what if depraved rebels could get their hands on these angels? How would they respond? And I think by answering that question, then we could understand more about the severity of God's wrath as it's poured out here. Go with me from the last book of the Bible back to the first book of the Bible. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. Abraham has interceded uh, with the, those, the Lord and the angels who were there that, that Sodom would not be destroyed if there would be as few as ten righteous people there. Now they are down in Sodom. Now they are down there and they are talking to Lot. And you know the story or you can read the story there in Revelation chapter 19. Notice what happens is with these two angels who are, they appear in the form of men. When they come, look what it says in verse 4. Before the family retired for the night, before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, surrounded or compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people. Now, if your translation says people, I'd just like to point out that is a masculine term there. And when it says from every quarter in our translation, it is saying to the extremity. Other translations have it this way. Every last man in Sodom surrounded that house. Every last one of them surrounded that house. Now look in verse 5. And they called unto Lot and said, Where are the men which came in unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. I think you know this, but that word know, it refers to abuse or molestation. And Lot went out of the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known men, that is, they're virgins. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do you to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Do you not respond with shock and horror at the way that Lot responded in this situation. He was going to do what? He was going to sacrifice his own virgin daughters to this crowd 
in order to try to protect these men. Don't miss what happened next. Verse 9. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow, that's Lot, came in to sojourn, came in to live here in our city, in our area, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and they came near to break the door. Have you ever been in a situation where you were trying to talk to someone about their wickedness? You were trying to talk to someone about their iniquity, and they said these words to you, don't judge me. When I read that in the Bible reading this morning, I thought, it's actually happened to me many times. The last time I remember it happening was not long ago when an inebriated man in Heritage Hall said that to me during one of the weekdays. Don't judge me. Isn't it fascinating that here's Lot, and Lot is just trying to slightly restrain them. He is willing to abandon his own daughter's to abuse and molestation. So you, you see, he's not standing up and saying, thus says the Lord. No, he's actually really messed up in his own thinking. But even then, even then, these depraved rebels are saying, who are you to judge? Oh, you're a judge now, are you? Simply because he tried to restrain their abomination. There are people sitting right here in this room and you've experienced this in your own workplace. You, you know that any time you try to restrain or try to just say, slow down, wait, there, we, we need to reconsider this, that, that is wrong. Who are you to judge was the reaction you heard back. Now, you know, if you read through the book of Genesis, you read through Genesis 19, and I hope that you will be working through this in your Bible reading, you know what happened to Sodom next. And you know the devastation that is even there today, lowest spot on earth, on the surface of the earth today. And by the way, Ezekiel 47, 48 says that it will be that way even through the millennium. North side of the Dead Sea will actually have fishing South side of the Dead Sea will be just like this as a memorial for the rest of the millennium, the rest of the time that this earth, this present earth exists. Go back with me now over to Revelation chapter 15 and think about it this way. What if you had a whole world of people who were like this? What if, what if Sodom was the characteristic of a whole society and you see, first of all, why, why they would constantly be persecuting the believers. Can you see how the Antichrist and the beast and Satan himself are taking a society in a direction totally contrary to God? But they themselves are at work trying to corrupt the entire population. What would happen if these people could get their hands on those angels? I think Genesis 19 gives us a little indication of that. And so this explains to us exactly why next we would see the seven bowls. Look, if you will, again at verses 7 and 8. 
And one of the four, our translation says beast, I like the translation, living creatures, or even cherubim, another great angel, gave unto them the seven angels and the seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. Can I just pause here for a second, folks? If you're sitting here listening to a message like this today, and you basically say, not now. I, I, I know about trusting Christ, but, but not now. Someday. Can you not see that if you're lost and you're alive in the midst of this tribulation, that what is getting ready to happen here is that the Lord is going to cast bowls that are full of his wrath. He's going to hurl them to this earth. So that when you hear tonight in Pastor Rod's message about this wrath of God is poured out, Do you really want to be the target of that? I mean, do you really do you really want God's wrath poured out upon you? Are you ready to say, "Hit me, Lord"? We beg of you to be saved. We beg of you to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ now, to escape from the wrath to come. And today, if you're a believer, and you have not shared the good news of Jesus Christ with someone, is that what you want? Do you want these people just to have the wrath of God hurled down upon them? I don't know of any person who has been embraced by the grace of God who would have that kind of attitude toward people. And when you read about it in the news... And you read about the drag queens and you read about all the other stuff that's going on that, that you would just say, just, you know. But the fact is that we don't judge, right? Romans 12, avenge not yourselves. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We're not supposed to be the judges, we're supposed to be in the witness chair. And we're testifying. When we do testify, people will still say, oh, you're judging me. But dear friends, you and I need to come to a new, full grasp of what it means that God will pour out his righteous indignation on the lost. And there will come a day when he will say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Can you and I sit here today and say, okay, doesn't that stir up something in our very being that says we must win the lost? Because the wrath of God is going to be poured out authorized by the holy God and equipped by one of God's living creatures, these angels stand ready at the ceremony. Those bowls are full of the righteous indignation of the holy God who lives forever. And when these bowls are presented, it says the temple of God will be full of the smoke of God's glory and power and no one could even enter into the temple 
you've been in a situation where you, you couldn't stand next to a, a campfire. You, the smoke was too much. You had to step away. Here the idea is that's what's going to happen. How should we respond then? That's, that's really the point of today's message, isn't it? The carry away, the so what. Okay, now that we understand something about the nature of the Lord God Almighty and the seven angels and these seven bowls, what should be our heart response? And this is where we go back to verses 2 through 4. And when you think about verses 2 through 4, look at what's happening here. It says, first of all, a reference to the sea of glass. It's a fascinating picture. One of the pieces of furniture there in the temple was this, this laver, this, this wonderful vessel that was just full of water. And, and that appears to be what's being brought out here, but it says it's, it's sparkling with fire. It's, it's mingled with fire. There are, and I put this in the footnotes, this is a really interesting, translations are evenly split on whether they're standing on the sea of glass or beside the sea of glass. We'll know when we get there. That's probably as far as I can go with that. Revelation 15.2 says it's, it's sparkling with fire. What, what should that immediately call to our minds? This, this sea of glass, this crystal sea it's been described as, as this, this area that is sparkling with fire. Well, if you look in your manuscript in passages like Hebrews 10, 26 through 27, the appeal there is, for if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. If you can sit here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can sit here today and say, you know, I, it's a, please know the Scripture is saying you will endure the fiery indignation of God. 2 Corinthians 6 says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to be saved. You will endure the fiery indignation of God. And that's exactly why the last verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. Who is it that is standing here on the sea of glass? It is the victorious saints of the tribulation period. These are the ones who are standing there and they are magnifying the Lord. And look at, what, look at the way it describes them. It says, and those that had gotten the victory over the beast, that's the Antichrist, and over his image, his image enabled by the false prophet, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, and they stand on or, or beside the sea of glass having the harps of God. These are people who will come to know the Lord during the tribulation. You need to be extremely careful on this point. You may be saying to yourself, well, when I see all these things beginning to happen, then I'll trust Jesus Christ. Careful. You go back and read First and Second Thessalonians. Here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that those who have been rejecting Jesus Christ, they have not embraced him as Savior. They are going to go through a strong delusion. God's going to send them a strong delusion. I would not trust that. I would trust Christ now. 
These triumphant saints standing on the sea of glass are those who trusted that Jesus Christ died for their sins upon that cross and that he was buried and that he rose again victorious over death. And here they are victorious over death, standing in heaven, alive and well and rejoicing in all that God is and what he has done. These are triumphant saints, and by the grace of Jesus Christ, these believers are victorious over this wicked world system. And what is this wicked world system? The Antichrist and his false prophet and the image of the beast and the mark of the beast with the 666 that really dominates the rest of the world, it will not overcome the saints. The Bible is crystal clear that even during the tribulation, They will overcome him by the blood of the lamb. If you want to overcome today, it is only by the blood of the lamb. They, in fact, will overcome these ultimate evils and stand at or upon the sea of glass mixed with fire. Pastor Albert Tindley was a dear black pastor, Philadelphia area. He actually taught himself to read English and then went on to master Greek and Hebrew, greatly used of the Lord. He wrote a song that, by the way, appears to be the antecedent for the civil rights song, We Shall Overcome. Listen to what Albert Tindley wrote, because it was so filled with an understanding of Scripture. This world is one great battlefield with forces all arrayed. If in my heart I do not yield, I'll overcome someday. I'll overcome someday. I'll overcome someday. If in my heart I do not yield, I'll overcome someday. Both seen and unseen powers join to drive my soul astray. But with God's word, a sword of mine, I'll overcome someday. I'll overcome someday. I'll overcome someday. But with God's word, a sword of mine, I'll overcome someday. Look, if you will, then, at the very, the very song that they sing. It says, they, these triumphant saints upon the sea of glass or near the sea of glass, they sing the song of Moses. Now, why, that, why is that significant? If you go back in your scripture, the first song recorded in scripture is the song of Moses. And here we are at the last song. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. In in clear and joyful terms, clear and joyful exclamation, if you will, of God's glory, these triumphant saints will sing the song of Moses, and they will glorify the Lord. When Moses sang that song, they had just been delivered through the Red Sea from their enemies in the Exodus. It's amazing because the very same Red Sea that was used to deliver them is the very same Red Sea that killed their adversaries. The work of God is exactly the same way. This is what the Lord is doing is he is delivering his saints and he is bringing his people to himself even as he deals with the rebels. So this is the introduction 
to Revelation chapter 16 as we look at these blunt force trauma strikes or forces that are coming up. And, and so here's the question for all of us. What should our response be? What is our response be? Do we think that God is somehow uh, unfair? That God is somehow unjust? No, today we've understood his nature and his character and who he is and his works. And we have to say, righteous are you, O Lord. Your ways are, they are just and true. Lord, you deserve all the praise and all the glory. How great and marvelous your deeds, O Lord, our God Almighty. How just and true your matchless ways, the King of all the ages. Who will not fear your name, O King, and glorify in praising, for you alone are holy. Sing to the Lamb, the praise is his, and sing the song of Moses. When all God's righteous deeds they see, the nations will come meekly. To worship him, our sovereign king, and praise his name in singing. O Lord, our God, almighty. Shall we bow together to pray? Lord God, almighty, the God of all power and of all might, Lord, today, We've tried to exercise great care with your words and demonstrate the true teaching of the word of God. I ask your heavenly father then that this day every single person under the sound of my voice would run to Jesus Christ knowing that they are sinful rebels that every single one would run to the Lord Jesus and embrace him as Lord and as Savior, as the Lamb sacrificed for the sins of the world. Because we see with clarity that there is a coming day of wrath in which these plagues will be poured out upon the earth. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I'm crying out to you for every single person under the sound of my voice that all of them, each and every one of them, would be delivered from the wrath to come by the precious substitution of Jesus Christ for our sins. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.